You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Thanks for tuning in. Sluts and Scholars is a sex-positive, shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter. While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. This episode is sponsored in part by OMG Yes. OMG Yes is for anybody who is curious to learn more about vulvas and pleasure. OMGS has asked thousands of vulva owners what feels best for them and found the patterns. Each technique is brought to life in beautiful videos of regular folks sharing from experience. No blushing, no shame, just body exploration. Get $5 off their newly released season two at omgs.com slash S and S. Enjoy. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars, where we talk smart and fuck smarter. I'm Nicoletta, and I'm a marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And I'm Simone. I am a law student, and I really like to talk about fucking. This week, we are joined by Courtney Wilson, who's a director, writer, and an Emmy-nominated producer. Uh, she's a producer at Jill Soloway's Topple Productions. She was behind the Golden Globe and Emmy-winning personal fucking favorite, Amazon original series Transparent, and also I Love Dick. She developed original content, including The Skinny, which was a Refinery29 wifey TV web series with Jesse Conweiler, who I also fucking love. Uh, it premiered at Sundance in 2016. She also helped produce the Emmy-nominated doc series This Is Me for Amazon Prime. In 2017, she was hired by Nylon Studios to produce and direct their first original show, Nylon News, This Just Happened, which is a millennial focused news show exclusive to Amazon Prime. She's in development for her directorial debut and has most recently been hired as director of production at Girl Gaze. Fuck yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. We're not oh even God, here to talk blushing. about film. We're here to talk Ugh. about um, butch lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy, what did I sign myself up for? But I do feel like before we get to talking about that, I would love to hear about your experience on things like Transparent, because we do have a lot of mm. um, trans guests, and I wonder what that was like being in the making of that show. Yeah, I mean, it was wild. We were kind of the first public platform to really deal with that topic in a way that was very sensitive and public. Um, and we learned a lot really fast. Uh, it was very hard to please all sides of the community, but it was also like kind of endearing and really powerful to be uh, the team that was behind it. And I think it makes me now hyper aware of gender politics, especially, and also how important it is to represent accurate storytelling uh, with the people who actually live these stories. So. That was like a big part of our mission was to make sure that half of our writer's room was actually trans people and that our crew was staffed with trans people and that also we had to put our money where our mouth was. So it was cool. That's awesome that they had behind the scenes folks who were trans and on the gender spectrum. Um, I wonder why they didn't hire a trans person to portray the role. Well, that was the big thing. That was the thing we got the most hype. Well, yeah, I guess the most scrutiny from the actual queer community was like, why is a cis man in this role as a trans woman and not actually a trans woman? Um, 
and we took you know all the criticism and feedback very uh, personally in a way, but also it was important uh, because we then fleshed it out to make it as accurate as possible. And we're about to drop the uh, the finale, which is season five. Um, which is a musical. Which is a musical finale, yes. <laughs> and actually, you know, spoiler alert, but is replaced by a so. Maybe we can't say that. <laughs> Maybe don't tell anybody. Yeah. Life. <laughs> She's like, what? No. Leah. Uh, when is so it out? It'll be out in a few weeks. In the fall. It'll be out this fall. Oh, yeah. shit. Okay. Well, you let us know if you want us to keep that in. Okay. <laughs> Probably not what, the spoiler, spoiler alert. Yeah, but. I can't believe that <laughs> we'll you gave me that. a spoiler. That was really just because you're you geeking out about it. I had to like. The finale is my end game. Like, oh. do you understand that? I believe it. I actually really believe it. Um, I just really wanted to see the look on your face as I said that. So that's really what that It's a about. lie. It's a lie. She's just fucking with you. <laughs> Mental breakdown. When does it drop? In the fall. So we have to cut it out and nobody will know. Only you. You get to hold the secret now with me. It's really fucked up. Yeah, but we're going to share We're gonna share a part where we tell the listeners that you gave us a really important spoiler. So they're jealous, but they don't know what it is. Okay, great. Um, Love it. We've talked to other other like female directors and filmmakers, but I wonder what it's like as a, as a queer woman or as a lesbian identifying woman in the film space. In, in what capacity? I don't know, in any capacity. Do you notice mm. having like different kind of privilege because you are queer or lesbian? Or do sure. you think there's any, anything there? Yeah, I think what's really special about right now is that the industry has changed so much in the past five years. Um, where primarily I was kind of, I would say, at an advantage as a younger creator um, because I could, like, rub elbows with the boys. And, like, they were like, oh, she gets it. We can, like, we could talk about women together in the boys club kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. And it was always something I really didn't like, but I also knew that it was kind of had to be my survival tactic when I first started out in the business, um, that I had this advantage to, like, be relatable to men in a different way or I wasn't being treated like, you know, arm candy in a way. I'm sure there are some people who sexualize you more because you like women. Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or it would be like, let's, what about this one over here? Or let's talk about it. And I would have to be like, uh, no, I'm not going to actually talk about it. And that doesn't feel good to me. Like, um, but it was weird. I know in my, in my younger years, I for sure, put myself in situations where I just kind of went along with stuff um, because it was like attached to my survival. And that's why right now, and especially since the Me Too movement and everything that's happened in the past four or five, six years, um, it's so powerful to be a woman in the industry now. And if anything, people are demanding accurate stories that are actually told by women and shown by women. And that feels so wild and special and like I actually maybe was doing the thing I thought I should have been doing all the time because I don't know now it's like they want us here you mentioned uh, the boys club and uh, something that we talked a little bit about in preparation for this interview was um, toxic masculinity in the queer community Mm -hmm. and I wonder what experience you've had with like quote-unquote boys clubs or that within the lesbian community yeah, this is like my biggest favorite heated topic. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't think like heated in a sexy way. <laughs> no, no, I know. Well, may- I, know I just no. like yeah. heated topics. Yeah, I think the- not everything's sexual, Nicoletta. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Um, 
I think as a more butch presenting lesbian, there is an assumed narrative that often gets placed onto me when somebody meets me. And it's something I really dislike. Um, the assumed narrative concept in general is something I really don't enjoy. Um, <clears throat> so I feel like I'm getting off topic. Can we, I got distracted by the tapping or the wine, poor wine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, when is she going to do it? I finished my water, no. so I was requesting some wine. <laughs> Please yeah, dear listeners, <laughs> Courtney showed up with an entourage, so yes. we've given them wine. Amber <laughs> Heard is like pouring Courtney's wine background. No big deal. Casual uh, flex. Casual yes. flex. Casual flex. Ooh. I wish I had wine, but I have an exam. Anyway. <laughs> So um, you're talking about this narrative concept that's placed upon you and not liking narrative concepts. Or the and assumed what, what narrative is, of right. how somebody perceives you based on your physical appearance in general. And that's like not specific to butch people. That's not specific only to that. Or queer people in general, it's for everybody. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, you meet someone that you're attracted to, you assume that they're your person, and suddenly you have created a whole narrative with someone you don't even know. Um and that kind of knows no bounds, but I think it's typically really bad uh, for most, well, for me as like a butch person who isn't technically into the idea of leaning into my privilege that I have around masculinity or what a masculine demeanor does for me in certain spaces. Um, I think it's important to, I don't know, I think for myself personally that I like to not lean into the privilege that I have of that, and if anything, show uh, that we have to be smarter than that kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious about like two things, but I think are linked. One is how would you describe this narrative that's placed upon you? Mm-hmm. And then two, what are the male privileges that you, or masculine privileges that you really try to um, either not take advantage of or just are like, very saliently aware of. You know, I'm handy. I will fix things for you. I will automatically carry the bag that you don't want to carry. Or um, I like sports. Or all the things that you would think that, like, you know, the worst kinds of butches are accurate to living, but it's not for everybody. It's just, like, what are the stereotypes and why do we need to categorize everybody? And... I just think it's so boring and it's lonely to assume that someone's just something based on how you perceive them instead of just asking. Mm-hmm. So Because then you can't step outside of the box, like people only see you one way? I think I am very turned off by people who choose to see me in a way that actually has nothing to do with me at all. Um, and that's what it comes mm-hmm. down to. Do you like address it head on? Do you try to show that they're wrong or do when somebody does that, you're just like, fuck you, I'm not engaging or is it a teachable experience? (laughs) Oh no. I'm like, I'm so self-aware that it's almost a sickness. So I'm on like, will consistently be like, oh, so you think that that's what my story is. Cool. Got it. And I'll kind of put the person on blast and like either they can roll with it and like take a step back and be like, you're right, I'm sorry, I did just assume that you're X, Y, and Z, or they get defensive and can't handle it. So I don't like dealing with the defensive types. It's hard to call people. Actually, Courtney, sorry to interrupt. Courtney's actually all of oh. these things that she listed. She is very handy. She's <laughs> the bags. She's very handy. 
technically you're putting me on blast right now. Handles the bags, carries stuff because she's really polite and helpful, but you're literally all of the things you just... I hate you so much. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. The point is you can't fucking assume it. Exactly. Thank you. That's yes. the point. Like, maybe you I am those things. Them. Yeah. Like, no. like Courtney, I, you get yes. to reserve the right... First to somebody not think that you're going to carry their fucking bag. And if you want to do that, then awesome. That's right. I'm not the but bag like, I feel like anybody can be. carry a... Exactly. Yeah. But isn't it... But I'm curious how you call out people because I find it so hard to call people out. Like, cat calls I can handle. But literally the other day, I was sitting in a common space of the law school. And I got in and it was like super hot and super stuffy. And there were four men like studying in there and I was like is it okay if I open a window it's like really stuffy in here and they're like I mean you can try and I like walked over to the window and this guy was like yeah I don't I don't think so and I walked over to the window and I opened it and I successfully opened the window like it was not a challenge and I like didn't say anything but I sat back down and the guy goes you know you know, I really didn't think you were going to be able to do that. Like, like, I'm really, really impressed. Like, when you went over there, like, I was like, no way is that happening. <laughs> That's terrible. And, like, I didn't know what to say. I was like, I just want to fucking study torts right now. Yeah, you should see how um, hard I can choke you or squash your dick between my hands. Well, I wanted to be, so all I did was write an angry tweet about it. But Love a good subtweet. I, Love a good subtweet. But I would have, I don't really know what a subtweet is. It but just means I when really, something inspires you to tweet something out that's not like, it's just a, oh. yeah. Like if I'm ever quoting something that happened that's just in proximity to me, it's technically a subtweet. It's not like a original Got thought. Because I just wanted to like let this person, I wanted to be like, that is a extraordinarily sexist thing you just said. Like, do you realize? And I didn't have the gumption. <laughs> It's hard when you're caught off guard like that. I, I want to go back to what you were talking about, though, because you use the word butch, lesbian. Like, how would you define butch? Like, what does that mean to you? Um, so I, I'm technically, I identify as a long-haired butch, which is an LHB. Um, is, that a, is that an acronym that yeah, people use? Yeah, yeah, Okay. We're Good very well, Courtney uses it. <laughs> we are a, uh, a rare breed. There aren't a lot of us. Um, but I feel like we kind of operate within a, a space that doesn't deny femininity, but it also brings a level of masculinity to it as well. It's like, yeah, I use really expensive hair products and sometimes I wear concealer because I have adult acne now and like all because what, I have high levels of testosterone that are naturally in my body, like things that I can't necessarily control. And like when other butch women are like, oh my God, you wear concealer. And I'm like, yeah, bitch, like, what do you care? Why are you shaming me into like weird stereotypes of what you think I should and shouldn't do? Like, I just like, because it, it means really you're not bothers butch me. enough if yeah. you take care of your body. And they're like, oh, I would never wear makeup. And I'm like, well, good for you. We're not the same person. Like, this is where I get really upset about the categories that everybody feels like they need to place each other into. And you feel which like I, that's where it that, becomes like toxic is... masculinity, kind of? Well, yeah. the concept of toxic, toxic masculinity is the way that butch women, I think, treat other women that I don't, that I'm not down with. Or that, like, if a bunch of butches go to a bar together and they're all, like, smoking their cigarettes, like, watching the femmes, like, watch them, and then it's, like, this weird, like, greaser mentality, and I'm just, like, 
are we the stereotype or can we evolve this? Like, why do you have to like, it's just, I don't know. I like to respect women. I like to respect all people actually. And actually, (laughs) yeah. And I think it's like that assumed, that assumed uh, ownership when you lean into your masculine uh, representation or presentation of yourself is just as bad as what cis men do or what most men do or how they treat women in general. I think we have to like treat each other with more respect. How do we do that? How do you, as both kind of having one foot inside this like very specific masculine butch community and also a foot in this like, I am aware of the social dynamics at play and how patriarchy fucks us all. Like, how do you, like, change it? Um, I genuinely show up to see people if I want to. And if I don't want to, then it's not really on them or anything that they did. It's just, like, if you catch my attention or if I... uh, see that someone else is aware enough to see how this stuff also doesn't work, then it's like, I don't know, it's a choice. It's a, mm-hmm. an awareness of like, we can see all the pieces. We can argue about feminism for days. We can, you know, say they're this, I, I only like this type of femme or only femme for femme or whatever it is. All these limitations I think are just like a false sense of security into a space or, you know, an approach to a pursuit of intimacy, which is hard for everybody. Um, Mm. And it's like either you choose to see somebody because you want to do the work or you don't. Why do you think butch identifying lesbians then, why do they feel like they have to act this way? I think... I think it's security within their identity or an assumed identity that they've like needed to lean into in order to survive in a way. Um, I feel like it's very easy to put the role stereotypes within a queer community onto each other. So it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy that people expect them to be that way and then... Kind of, yeah. Or like that most butches will be like, I'm, I'm a top, I'm, you know, I'm dominant, I'm, I'm this side of this. When it's like, I think, you know, vulnerability is both. You are a switch. You are both of these things. You can be a sadist and a masochist. You can be whichever side you want, if that's what you Mm want to do. Like You don't have to assume a role just because you present in a way that's either more masculine or feminine. Like I just think it's very binary to think that way, and it's not Mm -hmm. really realistic anymore. Or that you are supposed to be dominant if you are like masculine identifying. Exactly. Like, why can't a masculine identifying person also be submissive or switch? Oh, they can. (laughs) Yeah, well, we know that. Well, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Not everyone pegs people, okay, Simone? Never have I ever. Oh, well, I'm just speaking for myself, I guess. Oh, no, we were just, literally, this happened to us yesterday. We were at a fucking garden party with a bunch of gay men, which I would never typically do um, because... What did, you, what did you guys wear to the garden party? Yeah. Pretty to much challenge this. your I, gender norms. I wore a fabulous floral <laughs> yeah, dress. You looked gorgeous. <laughs> I was literally wearing my uniform, which is just black all the time in my jean jacket. I so, feel that. Yeah. Um, Fair but enough. There was <laughs> so you're at this fabulous gay garden party. Yeah, and we, I mean, 
I don't want to. May I? Can I? Do you mind? Okay. Um, you cannot say my qualifier. I mean, you can't say my percentages. No, 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 no. <laughs> what percent? We'll no. talk about later. No, we'll talk about later. Yeah. I um, think you get your own separate interview based on like the little <laughs> gems you're giving us. I know. I can tell you're like. Just trying really hard not Chomping to Chomping at the bit. <laughs> Join us if you want to be over here. There's a challenge. No, no, we don't have enough mics. <laughs> we'll come back. We don't have enough mics. I would love to. You'll be next. <laughs> okay, you're that. next. But this one's about Courtney, okay? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Now um, I'm triggered. Now, I'm yeah. <laughs> now you need to come over. Yeah. Now I'm triggered. Patience, patience, little one. Aside from <laughs> one question that was prompted by a group of gay men to the only uh, two women there who obviously identify as gay, proximity gay at least. Proximity um, gay. Gay <laughs> Both very gay, let's be real. Um, Though one person said, what is lesbian sex? Just a bunch of rubbing? Uh, it, we then evolved after many bottles of wine into a space where it was like, well, you know, have, we were asking the gay men if they had had sex with women. And one was like, I've only given them oral. Or I did it once and it was romantic, but then we never did it again. And it was only because I made out with her when I was 14 and then we reconnected in college. And then... A couple of them were like, I've never had sex with a woman. I've never penetrated a woman. And then they turned to me and they were like, well, do you mind if we ask if you've like had sex with a man? And I was like, yeah, I've had sex with a man. And they were like, ah. <laughs> and then I was like, and I've even pegged gay men. I'm like, Are, and they were like, oh. <laughs> Clutching and I'm like, their garden pearls. Yes, exactly. And I was like, why is this so surprising? And then one was just like, Oh wow! But also You've people done, like, can be identifying as men and still have a vagina. Also, exactly. But yeah, just, just throwing it out. I mean, that's why it's like the war between gay men and myself or lesbian community is so intense. So there's like, like the gold star lesbian, and then there's also like the gold star gay. Well, yes, right. And, and that's the thing, though, is that like this concept of even gold star, I think, is fucked up. Like it really places this like ha- like. It really is this hierarchy of sufficient gayness that, like, makes you markedly different or, like, more queer or, like, winning a queer award for this, like, gold star shit. And then have you heard Have you heard of platinum star gays? They're what? like, I was delivered by C-section. I've never touched a vagina. Oh, wow. And I'm just like, I think it's most, that one is a joke, but just the concept of gold star in either, like, lesbianism or gaysism, like... <laughs> You know, gayism. Gayism. I'm mad about it. I'm mad about it. Well, that's the thing. I feel like the war between gay men and I don't know any other queer space is just my trigger with gay men is that they look at women as if they are inferior because they don't need us. They're sexually satisfied. They do everything better. Women, you know, unless you're this beautiful, pretty doll that they want to shop around to their like other successful friends then what actual role do you play? Honestly. And that was like a weird reflective thing that I experienced yesterday. And also like, here I am, the angry dyke in the room because I'm challenging them on their opinions. And I'm yeah. just like, cool, that's, that's my stereotype. I guess I'm living it. But also like, I will continue to be vocal about it. I can't imagine not, so. So how did you answer them? Which time? When they were like, is it just rubbing? Like, did you educate <laughs> so, okay. them? Or were you so just I had like, no, I literally, I looked. Before you answer. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. What? 
I'm just saying before you do answer this question, when you were like, they thought it was just rubbing, and then you said, and as the night grew on and we had more wine, I was like, oh my God, did you show them? That's, <laughs> wow. that's where my head went. I mean, if it was that's any where, other crowd, just, maybe, but not like with those men. Them. No. <laughs> I mean, if they've never seen a woman, there. maybe they could at least watch. I was watch. just like, you, I guess you just started going at it at the garden party. And I was I like, that's you're taking that kimono this. right that open. Is both, <laughs> that is both powerful, you know, fucking with patriarchy and really fucking hot. So. I just spilled my wine. I didn't get on my tits <laughs> but oh. so what you really did was Courtney <laughs> yeah well I mean I like your version it doesn't sound terrible um, <laughs> yeah it was I think I scoffed very loud I think I, I stood up because I was so uncomfortable and I made a joke about threatening to leave and I stopped myself from saying google it really loud and I just kind of laughed it off which I didn't actually like I kind of made myself small in that moment Um, and it was just kind of like, I don't know, I was a guest, I was trying to be polite. Um, and you said you didn't want to fall into feeling like a stereotype of the quote unquote. Oh yeah. If I, I wanted to rage and be like, you fucking ignorant fucks, you have no idea about anything other than your own dick and what's right in front of your nose. And like, how dare you even try to engage with like asking about what intimacy is like with other women? Like. That's really what I wanted to go into, but then I was like, I would have made a really weird turn in the garden party at the Gayville, so. Yeah. Weirder than the sex in front of them, or? I mean, that's not weird to me, so. <laughs> yeah. No, just the emotional conversation. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's weird. Me having to, like, I didn't want to have to fucking educate them. Like, I'm so Yeah, it's sick not your of... responsibility to do Exactly. Stuff. I'm st- also shocked that, like, there are, like, grown-ups out there, like, I mean, kind of regardless of sexuality, but especially, like, anywhere in the queer space that are, like, so what do you girls do? Exactly. Like that just seems that just seems really, really unin, uninformed and like a super unfair question to like request someone to put that like emotional vulnerable labor labor into answering. Like that information is out there. You don't need to ask the two gay girls in the room. Yeah, it was it was a really it was an interesting moment for me. So if you were to to explain, what would you say? <laughs> You want me to say what kind of sex I have? Like, well, you don't have to. <laughs> well, to. well, to be fair, this is. <gasps> like, I was trying to. Well, as soon as I was like, no, I'm not going to let this like happen. Then they were like, oh, please, Amber, you tell us what no, it's like. I jumped. In the- I know. And then I was like, please tell me your answer. I don't know. And like, it just fizzled out. We never actually. Well, the thing there. I like about it is just that it. I think it it expands the definition of what sex is. So no, it's Mm -hmm. not all just rubbing, but yes, there are like other, maybe more creative things um, that can be done. Oh my God, so many. I started to say, so more interested in the answer. (laughs) They didn't care. Yeah, it was just to be like, we're going to put this out there and see what they say. That's kind of what I felt like. Be like, ha, 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 you don't have good enough parts to do sex. Or how do you that, have sex without a dick is basically exactly, what it came exactly, down to. Exactly, which is like so You're much like, of what my we're... Own. <laughs> which one do you want to see? Yeah. <laughs> Give me a fist. What do you got? Like, yeah. <laughs> but I also feel like even aside from that, like, and I know we talk about this all the time on here, so... But I think it's really important, listeners, and now to talk to Courtney about, like, just, like, reframing this concept of, like, sex around this, like, thing that has to be inserted into another thing. Like, that's not what sex is. That is not what sex has to be. It's what sex can be. But it's, like, one of, like, a plethora of activities that, like, can be sex. And so 
fuck that. It's a very black and white approach to something that knows all colors, I'd say. So. Mm. Love you, gay men. Kisses. Mean it. <laughs> I think it's it just the more interviews we do with people in anywhere in the LGBT space, I think the more frustrated I feel with how each category doesn't support the other category. And this is, a, I mean, this is a generalization. Obviously there are exceptions, yeah. um, but just hearing about like trans versus gay people, gay versus lesbian, like yeah. that there is this hierarchy within and like, how do you support each other as a larger minority community when there are such diverse types within that community yeah. instead of bringing each other down? And I think that's the thing that's hard about any space nowadays. It's like, you know, you're this side, you're that. Like, everybody wants to battle each other. All we know is to criticize, to judge, to place like... Cancel. Yeah, to false sense of, put a, a false sense of control on everything in order to feel more secure. And it's just so ancient. I just don't understand why people are still doing it and why we can't just be like accepting of everybody and everything or Honestly, outsmart feel- the process. Yeah. Well, I think the outsmarting is like key because my understanding, and I think this is often in like lots of uh, communities that are, if you will, out of the norm. And by norm, I mean like the thing that we don't question and that like we don't ask people if they're straight. We ask them if they're gay. So that's what I mean by that is that it really benefits the status quo to like have infighting. Mm-hmm. It really does. And like, it's, it may be conscious, it may be unconscious, but sort of like what you're saying about this like need to either perform masculinity or to have this phallocentrism or to, um, you know, pass in a certain way. It mm-hmm. all comes down to this like, Cis het patriarchal ideal that somehow we're all still attracted to. Well, I think it's what we know, so it feels yeah. like safer. Unfortunately, aside from just rubbing each other during sex, what are some <laughs> other stereotypes that you think come up that you've heard or that have been put onto you about lesbian dating? Oh God. Um. <laughs> Sorry for the interruption, listeners, but we want to take a moment to offer you a discount for pleasure resources. OMGYes.com is a website about sexual pleasure for people with vulvas. We talk so much on this podcast about the importance of self-exploration, the orgasm gap, and myths around pleasure and desire. The platform OMGYes decided to do the first ever large-scale scientific research interviewing over 20,000 vulva owners ages 18 to 95 about what actually feels good and why. What they found was, of course, people vary in what they like, but there's also lots of shared techniques. The OMG Yes site has short videos of all kinds of people with vulvas sharing and showing these styles. I've been recommending this site to clients and partners for years, and we are so honored that they are now sponsoring Sluts and Scholars. I know we talk strongly about not placing penetration on a hierarchy, but season two of OMG Yes just came out, and it's all about penetration and ways to make penetration more pleasurable. Go to omgyes.com slash S&S for a discount. You pay once for permanent access to a set of videos and animations, and your payment goes on to funding ongoing research into sexual pleasure. Enjoy. You're here. You're doing really you. good. I'm very, I'm very flattered by how quiet. Yeah, there's a lot right of now. nodding support. I know, right? Lots of eye contact. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, I think, I don't know, like the the public representation of what lesbian sex looks like from movies to pornography to, you know, fashion photography where there are two women together as if they are like romantically involved. It's so just like delicate and pretty and assumed to kind of just be this thing that can't be like rough or raw or you know more visceral or whatever it is like and maybe some people are having sex that way and I support you if that's what you want to do that's just not the kind of sex that I'm having so um when somebody presents the assumed narrative of what they think my idea of sex is, it's like also instantly triggered. I'm just like, you don't see me at all. You don't care to know. You already have your own story. Or, you know, I love to just like, obviously I'm a big advocate for the BDSM community and because I feel like it's so elevated and respectful in a way. There's like boundaries and clear communication and all these things that are so much harder to do and everybody just assumes it's like this deviant fold of like you know what the bad kids do and it's actually like no it's what the fucking elevated people are doing like get in line or stay there and be bored and wonder why you're cheating on person after person and you're never satisfied Mm -hmm. because you're not being honest with yourself or the person that you're with like Mm -hmm. you know so speaking of cheating uh before we did the interview you and i were talking about like you know what what do we want to discuss in in this podcast and we talked a little bit about um like polyamory or just consensual non-monogamy um and it was interesting because i found myself feeling surprised when you said it because we Mm. have yet to interview someone who identifies as a lesbian who is in the poly community interesting i feel like a lot of women I've met in the past couple of years, especially since I've opened myself up to those dynamics and those concepts, I feel like I've met a lot of poly couples that are queer or genderqueer or someone's trans or wherever this like fluidity leads you to. Um, Because I think we have this stereotype though of lesbian couples of getting together, quickly moving in together, buying a cat. Get a cat. And that's the end of it. Get a dog. Yeah. And definitely not sharing partners. Yeah. So this is sort of like the cultural stereotype that is pushed into us, which may be true for some people. Well, and that's the thing. It's like, I feel like dating for me is really difficult, as I'm sure it is for many people. But when I meet someone who likes the way that I communicate, likes the way that I present myself, isn't familiar with somebody who lays it all out there, says where my lines are, says where, like, your lines are separate from my lines. Like, they're, like, lesbians' minds get blown. And I'm not just, like, saying it to, like, sound like a tool. Like, it really, it actually makes it harder for me um, because I have to be like, I'm sorry, you're not special. This is how I treat everybody. This is literally just me trying to take care of myself within this thing. And I've done therapy for eight years. So this is nothing, this is no pedestal dynamic. Like, this is what everybody gets. And I mm. think that, like, by presenting it up front and right away, that it will actually, like, deter people. But no, it actually kind of makes them, like, try harder or that they it then becomes about something that actually has nothing to do with me at all and then their pursuit in their need to be validated by me becomes so unattractive and it has like I don't know I just don't feel seen in it yeah in in my attempts to present boundaries you would think that people wouldn't challenge them or that if I say Mm. I'm 
I can do X, Y, and Z, and this is where my emotional line will stop um, because I'm not emotionally available or because I'm very damaged or because like I need to operate within spaces where I don't feel as if I'm trying to take care of your emotions. Like, and if you can respect me and my lines and my emotions and not challenge them, then you're going to win with me. But if it suddenly becomes about like, oh, you hurt my feelings because you weren't available for this thing. And, and it's like, okay, well, that actually has nothing to do with me. And it's so hard to try and connect with people when they can't even see it that way, when they don't even understand what boundaries are. Um, but everybody loves and to you, say that they know what they are when they don't. How do you establish them in your relationships or partnerships? Um, I'm pretty vocal about it, I guess. I will say when I'm uncomfortable, I will say like, oh, hi, I'm like starting to feel really emotional around this. I'm going to step away because I know it has nothing to do with you. Um, mm. And either like someone really likes that or they tried that much harder to pull me back as if like they're like, no, that's the thing I've been waiting for. And I'm like, no, that's unhealthy. Like, I don't want to do that with you. Yeah. Or like when or how has it not been a successful communication? Not necessarily the other person has taken up as a challenge to like cross that boundary, but where you felt like this is a boundary I, I should have communicated and had mm. uh, ever thought like the onus not necessarily the onus was on you, but been like, that is something that I should have done differently. Um, I guess when I initially started to date people, I needed to go very slow. I hate assumed familiarities. Um, mm. I hate when people say we and us way too quickly. Um, Me too. Yeah. <laughs> when I see couples in, in my office, even if they've seen each other for like, 20 years, I really try to urge them against not using the we and the mm -hmm. us because there is an assumed familiarity after being with someone for a long time. And instead I try to encourage people to still be curious. Like there's still stuff to find out. There's still like space to differentiate from mm -hmm. each other. Yeah. And like have we don't have an opinion on that. So, yeah. Just <laughs> speaking for each other, mm -hmm. um, I think gets people into trouble. I think gets people into trouble in terms of arguments, but it also makes people think that there's no mystery left mm -hmm. when there may actually be mystery left. I request like lots of space and room to go slow, uh, to have a chance to get to know somebody. And... What does that look like? <laughs> um, it means like hanging out one day a week and not texting all day long or every day. And um, not over-familiarizing or suddenly be like, well, I'm going to go do this thing and do you want to come with me to do laundry? I'm like, no, watching you do laundry is something that's sexy in like six months. Like it's not sexy in this like second week or, you know, it's a month and a half and we were going to have plans to go out, but you're suddenly like crampy and going to be like sick on the couch. And like, I'm sorry that you feel that way, but I don't want to take care of you on the couch or like, you know what I mean? Like when I get sick, I want to be by myself. I don't, I don't need to be coddled like that. And I get that it is okay that some people do and I don't judge them and I'm happy to do it to people I love, but to people who I, that's mainly when I can feel and very easily tell that I'm not as emotionally invested um, in the same ways as somebody. And then I can be like, hi, I can feel like this is going fast. I need a little bit more room because I like you and I'm getting to know you. 
um, can you give me the room that I need? And they always are like, yes, of course. Like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And then all the actions never lead to the actual verbal agreement. And I think that's where I have my most difficulties because then I have, then I'm the bad guy because I'm like, mm. hey, I can't match where you're at or I'm so sorry, like, I want you to find the person that wants to spend every fucking waking moment with you. I'm just not that person. Like, I mean, it sounds like you've done a lot of, like you said, you've been in therapy for years, like you've done a lot of work on yourself. And I wonder so much, for, yeah. for people who are maybe now <laughs> just finding their own queer identity or coming out of the closet or, you know, whatever... Do you have any advice for how you got to feel so confident mm. in yourself in this way? Um, yeah, I would say listen to what people want. They will tell you what they want. And don't be afraid to ask a question about something that you're maybe worried to hear the answer for. Um, it's a really scary thing to do. It's so much harder to hear rejection if uh, you don't want to hear it but also that's actually how you build emotional intimacy with someone is like learning to accept the things that you don't want or that they do want or don't want and still deciding to show up because it feels worth it was it really hard for you to be to get comfortable with the idea of letting someone down or hurting someone? Still is every single day in every capacity of my life. Um, I feel that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, here's the thing. I sound like I make lots of sense and don't assume that I don't fucking lose my mind and also become a crazy woman and like, or whatever it is. Like, I definitely put me in a position where I actually feel vulnerable. All my triggers come up and all the things that I know that I'm supposed to do um, go out the window because I'm like, my abandonment trigger happens or I dealt with death when I was really young. So it's like separation is really hard for me. And so much so that it basically prevents me from getting close to people pretty often. Um, do you worry that being so open will impact you in your career or do you feel like it only adds to it? Cause you've been so open with us and it seems mm -hmm. like in some of your art and the work that you do, obviously part of yourself shines through. And I wonder if that feels like an asset or if there is a worry about like how it's going to be received. Yeah. I can't, I can't worry about what feels authentic to me and how it will be like perceived or received by anybody else. Um, I feel like the minute I try to make anything to please anybody else, I lose my sense of self. So um, it's terrifying. It's probably why it's taken me 10 years in my career to get to the point where I want to put my own writing out there because I maybe didn't have the confidence to do it earlier. Um, though I like have these things in me that I need to tell and will tell if it's like the last thing I do on earth. Um, but yeah, it's terrifying. No part of it is easy. It might sound like calm and collective, but I'm definitely screaming inside and anxious as hell and smoke cigarettes like a fucking chimney. So, so you have all these things inside of you uh, and like writing that you want to put out there and you're finally... <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of things inside of me the other oh, day. Okay, okay. <laughs> it was a great day. <laughs> so I'm doing self-care during finals too. Um... But so I was saying um, about like kind of create these spaces already existing or creating these spaces or deepening these spaces of like uh, for queer and trans and gender nonconforming folks in media and the media landscape and directing and writing. And I'm just curious about 
like why now you feel you feel like a you're able to b you want to and like what like why is it so important to like carve out this space and what you're going to do in it mm. I feel like my want and need to do it has always been there. I feel like I am such a perfectionist that I literally made myself do every single position possible from learning how to record sound on set to being an assistant editor in post to, you know, being an assistant to a producer, which really meant just going fucking grocery shopping and picking up their kids and like saying yes to anything that I found. It was like I had a mentor very early say to me that if you want to be a director, you should know how every single position on set works. Um, and it kind of took me 10 years to do that. Um, and then, so yeah, I took it very seriously and now I can read a contract and know exactly what I need to advocate for and I can manipulate uh, pretty much anybody under the sun in order to get what I want now as a producer. And it's very satisfying and I feel like I also, the ideas and concepts and, you know, I was always, I guess, very, I was always very motivated by the truth and it always felt very important to me to be a part of things that helped people feel like they could be more honest or that shine light on things that like we all know and don't say. That's like a very big theme in a majority of all my work or anything that I will be planning to put out in the next couple of years. Um, and that we are messy and not put together and we are all over the place and not perfect. And also that all of that is okay. There is uh, mm. no right or wrong way to do anything. And if the fact that you're just trying to do it is uh, valid enough to exist. So I feel like these are things that like society doesn't necessarily tell you. Mm. If anything, so the pressures of women to perform in a very specific way are so intense. Um, same thing for men as well as like mm -hmm. your assumed role as like the, the caretaker of everything, like all the assumed narratives that lay in every category, not even just specific to queers or butches or anybody, like it's everyone. There's an assumed narrative that we all think we're supposed to do. And I don't think it's real. Or that people think they have to assume about us when they interact with us because they need to know how to interact. Exactly. It's like people need to categorize you to know, well, how am I going to talk to this person? Yeah. And if anything, at a very young age, I realized that uh, movies saved my life in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, as a very isolated kid in a really small town who didn't have parents or anybody to monitor me, that was like how I educated myself or found like the other freaks in the world that I could relate to to pull me out of like my own depression or whatever the hell it was that I was in like deep isolation with. And it is, though it is like the belly of the beast, it is also the most powerful tool that we have. It's like what impacts everybody. So it's why it's been like a, a heavy pursuit to try and do it. So, so what are you going to do with this directorial debut? <laughs> um, I'm making a Give movie. more spoilers. I'm making a movie no, about... No, not spoilers. I fucking hate spoilers. <laughs> I loved your face as I told you that. It was like mouth dropped open. Um, <laughs> some, I like don't know. So I, I know. don't know. I'm like, you want to like figure out our role right now? I don't know if it was now. a joke or not. And like, I can't tell. And I don't want to know. And I'm, just, and I'm just feeling very anxious about it. 
Um, <laughs> so I'm developing a couple yeah, things can... right now, but the thing that I'm pursuing first, or at least what I would like to pursue first, is uh, a movie just about East LA and the queer scene and what it's like to date in the 21st century and what it's like to communicate in the 21st century and kind of just like putting everything on blast. So that's what I'm oh, planning to yeah. do. Yeah. Well, we have just a few minutes left, so I want to ask you, is there anything you want to make sure that we, that we cover that we haven't? Um, I would just say that in terms of polydynamics. Could be anything. And just like oh, yeah, let's that you go want back to, to polydynamics. Yeah. No, I just, I feel like so many people worry about polyamory and get so insecure um, around meeting other people who are in open relationships. And there's like this big stigma that it's like this taboo thing and that it's gross and whatever else it's like. I really encourage people to have the confidence to realize that what you have with an individual or what you share with somebody, no matter what category they're in, it doesn't matter to just trust that what you bring to the table with one specific person is never going to be what they get with anybody else. And that's why Mm. each dynamic or each connection that you make with somebody is very special and that it doesn't challenge the other. And if it does, then you're with somebody who doesn't respect you. And it's not really the culture, but. Yeah. I'm curious, cause like, I think sexuality is fluid, but sometimes when I think about sexuality being fluid, I also think about like bisexual or pansexual erasure, right? So it's like, oh, your sexuality changes over time. Or, like, now you're dating a man, so you're straight, right? Like, and how that all intermixes. And But I'm also wondering if, like, the desire to be polyamorous or polysexual you think is, like, a sexuality and if you expect it to always be a part of your life or do you not have expectations at all? Mm. Um, I think right now it makes sense for me. Uh, I would love to think that I can meet somebody eventually who keeps my brain as interested as I want it to be at all times. Um, But I also don't want to ever place that pressure on somebody else. Um, So I feel like it'll happen naturally. I would love to find like my top of the pyramid or my primary or whatever, even though that's kind of like not the best mentality to have in poly culture. Um, but yeah, I would like to have some ride or die person at my side that gets the way I think and can also like feel the freedom to explore their own sexuality and their own pursuit Mm -hmm. and not have that sacrifice, uh, you know, the beautiful connection that we have and also just know that it's like a trusting, loving thing. That's like the end goal. But until then, I'm very satisfied being alone. Yeah, I think it's important to say for people in consensual non-monogamous setups, like I have noticed that not that the the desire to have it maybe changes over time, but there may be times, like let's say you do have a primary partner, that there may be times when you're going through something as a couple where you decide to not take on as many additional partners or you decide to close the relationship for a time. I don't know if that means that you're not non-monogamous anymore. It may just mean like here's a context where we're wanting to support this relationship and maybe it takes these other sacrifices for a brief time. Well, yeah. I mean, I feel like even if you don't identify as like non-monogamous or poly and you're just single and you're not dating, that doesn't mean that like you don't 
want to date. Like not doing something doesn't mean you don't have it. Kind of like, you know, just because yeah, you're, you're a slut, slut doesn't mean yeah. you're having sex. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right, you guys just really pulled it full circle there. Just because you're a slut doesn't mean you're having sex. Just because you're bi doesn't mean you're like, or pan doesn't mean you're like fucking everybody of every gender. Just because, you know, you're poly doesn't mean you're dating many people or mm-hmm. more than one person or even any people. Um, and I think we forget that sometimes. Like we think that our our label, like quote unquote, also defines our behavior, but like identity doesn't necessarily always manifest in behavior, which I think ties into your exact like thing at the beginning about like how I behave. You don't fucking know how that I like affiliates with who I actually am. Mm-hmm. Behave, and I'm present, also, perform, whatever. Yeah, and I, I personally don't like dynamics where. People are like, oh, we're poly, but we have lots of rules. And I'm like, no, you're a control freak who's insecure, who's trying to pretend like they're okay with what their partner does, and you're actually not. And I don't like that. I just think it's like if there's a true trust and love there within somebody else that like it doesn't matter what they do with someone else. And I feel like Mm. everyone can create their lines and boundaries, and everyone's different, but like I stray away from poly couples who, you know, I'll meet one of them that I really like and then they'll be pursuing me and they'll be like, oh, well, you know, we can see each other, but my person doesn't want you to sleep over at my apartment. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, they set up like all these different lines in the sand where I'm like, oh, so you're actually not really poly, you're just kind of open and you're trying to take care of somebody else's needs and you're never actually fully going to be present. And that's so unattractive. it's more about like who you choose to date, not like how to do poly, if you will. Wait, what do you mean? Well, because I, because I mean, I think that people like define their relationships in different ways. Like you can define monogamy in a certain way. You can define poly in a certain way. Um, and like sometimes that does involve boundaries and, you know, knowing that like something is okay or something is not okay. And so I'm wondering if you're saying that like, having those like set rules and boundaries like you think is a bad way to have relationships in general or just the Mm -hmm. kind of people that you don't want to date? I don't think there's like right or wrong or good or bad ways to do anything. Um, Hmm. But I do feel like limitations placed within the context of intimacy is typically false or it's all coming from a place of insecurity, which then becomes an emotional process in which you are Mm -hmm. kind of then responsible for someone else's emotions. And that's, I don't like doing that. It's not, that's not fun. That's actually not healthy. Um, But I also like, obviously get it. And everybody creates their own system that works for them. And I don't know, I just love challenging poly couples where they're just like, well, on Sounds Tuesday nights, like I can do this, and but, like, you can do it this way, but, like, you can't actually fuck me this way because then my person will get upset. And then I'm just like, oh, so do you want to just have your person in the room? Because <laughs> now I'm sharing their emotional space with you, and oh. this is actually not, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, what Yeah, poly is actually just, like, genuine emotional connections on multiple levels that really respects each one and they're all separate. And being authentic in that. Yeah. And then being open is like having certain rules in which you get to, uh, you know, do Mm -hmm. things on the side that your partner approves of. And I think they're very, they're two very different things. And I think the queer community loves to place them into the same bag. Oh, 
what a good perspective. <laughs> Thank you so, yeah. so much for joining us and doing this. I feel like we yeah. covered so much ground. Um, thank you to our guests and our, and our side guests. <laughs> <laughs> and the wine. You're very um, She'll get her own episode someday, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so if people want to follow your directorial debut oh. and all of the things all that you're the doing. You're doing. Um, where, where can yeah, you find Yeah, I'm you? just uh, at, oh my God, Court, O-M-G Court, C-O-R-T. That's me on everything pretty cool. much. Cool. Thank you so, so much for joining us. Before we finish up, we just want to give all of you listeners a few updates. Remember that we now have a Patreon, patreon.com slash slutsandscholars, where you can get extra episodes, extra content, and more. In addition, for the next couple weeks, we're going to be featuring a trailer from one of our colleagues at The Pleasure Podcasts. Here's another one now. It's uncomfortable to talk about sex, but sometimes it's important to get uncomfortable. Sex Talk with My Mom is the best mom-son podcast about sex. It is the only one as well. My mother is a cougar. My son is a clown. In a nutshell, my dad died. So my mother decided to create a YouTube channel all about sex, like all mothers do. And then my son decides to use my material in his stand-up comedy routines. And thus... Sex Talk with My Mom was born. Each week we interview comedians. She starts sucking my dick. And I'm like, whoa, I guess pornos are real. (laughs) We also talk to sex experts. I could bottom in a really dominant way. I can be like, bitch, pick up that flogger and hit me with it now. And we also talk to our ex-lovers. I was not that experienced with fingering. So we start- Not that experienced? I wasn't that experienced. I'm picking up from like what I've seen on porn, which is- He was hovering. He was hoverboarding it. We've been featured in Esquire magazine on the Today Show. At Second City in Chicago. Subscribe to Sex Talk with My Mom. Sense.